Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. As we continue our series today, The Unseen Hand of God, Dr. Newfeld's going to be bringing us a message entitled, Tested and Tried. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, verse 21, to chapter 40, verse 23. I remember first hearing Bill Gaither's song, Have You Had a Gethsemane? It really stirred my heart back then, and I recently reread those words, and I still feel myself stirred. You know, Gaither wrote, Have you had a Gethsemane? Have you prayed in despair? In the dark of those weary hours, did the Lord meet you there? Have you had a Gethsemane? Have you prayed the night through? Have you shed tears of agony when no hope was in you? Have you prayed, If it is thy will, may this cup pass from me? But if it's your will, dear Lord, I will bear it for thee. Lovely words. Now, of course, no one can have Jesus' experience of Gethsemane. And after all, the cup he was called upon to drink, well, that's the cup of suffering for the sins of the world. And that's, however, not what Gaither intended when he asked the question of whether or not you've had a Gethsemane. See, even while some of Christ's experience in the garden is unique and can never be repeated, and yet there is a part of it in which Jesus really does invite all of us to come and experience with him. You know, at the very least, there's a very interesting passage from Paul in in Colossians 1.24. He writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, that idea, as Paul expresses it, that there is something lacking in the afflictions or in the sufferings of Christ, well, that seems astonishingly wrong. I mean, at first, to hear that, it sounds like a jarring note of discord. On the cross, Jesus, speaking to the Father, declares, it is finished. See, hour after hour, he had hung on the cross, and during those hours, he had paid for your sins and mine. And when those sufferings were done, He had fully paid for all sins. Nothing was lacking. If it had been lacking, he would not have said, it is finished. Well, now, since that's so, how in the world can Paul, in the midst of his own suffering, how can he declare that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings? There's a very important answer to that, so lean in. This is very important. Listen hard. While Jesus in his suffering fully paid for our sins, yet that message, that is, that forgiveness could be found in him, that it is freely offered to all who will repent and believe, that message would never have gotten through to us if others had not suffered in love in order to bring it to us. The gospel that we have heard has come to us over the years, and it has been drenched in the blood of the martyrs and those who were compelled forward by the love of Jesus. Yeah, Paul's right. They were filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, as we begin our study in the life of Joseph, more than once I have made the point that the family of Abraham desperately needed a savior. I mean, for one, Abraham himself had been a sinner. I mean, one easy reminder is that while he is the father of faith, he is also the man who, you know, once sold his wife into a harem. Abraham needed someone, Jesus, to die for his sins. But more so, Isaac was a sinner. So was Jacob. And the sons of Jacob had completely abandoned their faith. They not only needed the salvation that was offered up in Jesus, they also needed someone to bring them to a place where they saw the value of the life of God. And Joseph, as we will see, 
is the man who is appointed by God to rescue his family from complete assimilation into Canaan. God would accomplish that by taking them out of Canaan and then molding them into a unique and distinct people. And he would do that in Egypt. Now, at this point, Joseph still has no concept of what will come. But in the meantime, Joseph is having his own experience of Gethsemane. He has now suffered many times, first at the hand of his brothers and then, of course, at the hands of an evil and immoral woman. And now, of course, he finds himself in prison. So let's continue reading Genesis 39, verses 20 to 23. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now we find at first that history is repeating itself. When Joseph had been sold as a slave into the household of Potiphar, we were told then that the Lord was with him, and in consequence, he became a successful man. He was so successful that Potiphar put him in charge of all of his enterprises. And furthermore, we are told that Potiphar was more than aware that that God was blessing him because of Joseph. And so we saw Joseph, although he had been dealt a very bad blow, he's a slave, Still, he seeks to be faithful to God, and he serves God, and God blesses him in a less-than-an-ideal situation. Now, the same scenario happens all over again. Joseph becomes a reliable, model prisoner who can be trusted with responsibilities. And the prison warden soon finds out that he can entrust everything to Joseph without being concerned that Joseph might abuse that privilege. Yeah, history is indeed repeating itself. And Joseph is remaining faithful, and God continues to bless his servant. But in here, you might feel tempted to complain a bit. Yeah, God is for Joseph and continues to bless him. But as time goes by, Joseph's situation keeps getting worse, not not better. Perhaps, but that's not Joseph's concern. Do you understand? It's God's business. You know, so many of us fret when we're demoted. Listen, You want to leave those matters to God. You just be faithful. You wait for God. Now, one more matter before we move on. Let me get ahead of myself and tell you who the prison warden is. Are you ready? This might surprise you. Genesis 40 verse 3 tells us that the warden was responsible to the captain of the guard. So who was the captain of the guard? Well, back in chapter 39, verse 1, we were then told that Potiphar was the captain of the guard. And so this might have been painful. But Joseph is not able to escape the man who falsely put him in prison in the first place. Don't you see, there are lots of things that Joseph would have wanted to be different. You know, if he had made a list, he could have complained to God for a long time and demanded that God change things. But like Gaither saying, There is a time when we are suffering in Gethsemane when all we can do is pray, but if it's your will, dear Lord, I will bear it for thee. And there are many times when we need to confess that that we don't know why, but we will learn in times when we are tested and tried to remember that God is for us and that we are called upon to be faithful. What we must do is put our heads down and continue to serve our God wherever he leads us and for whatever opportunity he provides. So, let's continue to read now in Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 to 8. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker 
committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there was no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God, please tell them to me. You know, the words sometime after this, they're really intended to mean a long time after this. Waltke estimates that Joseph will have been in Potiphar's house for three years, and then at this point, when this encounter happens, he's been in prison probably for very close to 10 years. Sometime later, yeah, sometime indeed, year after year, faithfully serving God, believing that God is for him and that God will bless him as he carries on in his prison sentence. And then two very important prisoners are incarcerated. A cupbearer was essential because, you know, ancient kings were always aware that someone might be wanting to poison them. So cupbearers were key to what the king wanted. They were called upon to protect the king from all threats to his life. And so in consequence, his cupbearers often became quite wealthy and they were very influential and they were able to wield political influence. Well, chief bakers, they could have a very similar function So that is, both could play a sinister role against the king or they could protect the king. Clearly, whatever they had or hadn't done, the king must have suspected them of having done something. And according to God's sovereign design, Joseph is appointed to attend to them. And he's a man of God. And finally, finally, we understand why Joseph has been in this prison and has been suffering for so long. Have you registered for the Back to the Bible Canada's Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise in February 2020? Sail for nine days around the Caribbean, enjoying all that the incredible Royal Caribbean ship has to offer in all the ports of call. Do all this while being inspired and refreshed by the Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfeld. Laugh and be encouraged from Laugh Again's Phil Calloway and enjoy wonderful music and worship with guests Shane and Angela Weeb. So join us to celebrate this great occasion. Bring friends, bring family, and make sure to register soon to avoid your disappointment. For more information or to register, call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebibletours.ca. And remember that all of our ministry vacation events or tours are funded exclusively by the participants and no ministry resources are used for this purpose. In our study of the life of Joseph, we've already seen that the ancients believed that dreams were connected to the spiritual realm. You know, and since both the cupbearer and the chief baker have had dreams and they're deeply perplexed and troubled, well, the dreams, I suspect, must have been quite vivid and clearly 
The men, since they both had dreams at the same time on the same night, the two men are convinced that something of great importance is being communicated to them. Perhaps it's of an ominous nature. I mean, perhaps the question of whether they will be executed or not is still hanging in the air, and they're aware of how precarious is their situation. And what seems to bother these men the most is not only that they have had a significant dream on the same night, but that they don't have anyone to interpret it for them. So it's a very uneasy morning. Well, verse 6 tells us that Joseph came to them in the morning. That is, he must have been charged with caring for them, and he immediately notices their mood. And they tell him, we've had dreams, and we know those dreams are significant, but we also have no one to interpret them. That is, in the ancient world, those charged with interpreting dreams, well, that was seen as a specialized skill that only certain people had. But Joseph cuts right through that. Interpretations, he says, they come from God. Joseph is and always has been quite upfront about his faith. And as far as he's concerned, there is only one God. And and even though the Egyptians have all of their own gods, Joseph is confident in declaring that there is but one God. And so Joseph, the man who has had his own dreams, simply says with confidence, you tell me your dreams. That's because, and here this is significant, Joseph knows that he has a prophetic call on his life. Well, let's keep reading. Verses 9 to 15. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and then I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you are his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Now, everything in this dream occurs in threes. The vine has three branches. In verse 10, there are three verbs. The vine is first budded, then second, it's blossomed, and then third, the clusters ripen. Verse 11, the the cupbearer mentions Pharaoh by name, not once, but yeah, you guessed it, three times. And then as quickly as the cupbearer gives the dream, Joseph gives the interpretation. That's remarkable. Because you might remember that in the case of Daniel, he asks for time to be given to him where he can seek God to gain an interpretation. But in this case, we're not told why or how, only that Joseph knows the interpretation immediately. The three branches are three days. So unlike modern fortune tellers who tell vague fortunes in vague terms, giving hints and, you know, nuanced interpretations, Joseph, he's remarkably clear and direct. Three days, you're going to be fully restored. And says, Joseph, when you're restored, you're again given a position of political influence. Would you remember me? I've been wrongfully imprisoned. See, I find it interesting that Joseph mentions the prison as a pit. The Hebrew word is the very same word that was used back in Genesis 37, verse 20. That is, Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit while they decided his fate. And here, Joseph identifies that he is in the second pit in his life. Like before, he's done nothing to deserve this. He's been faithful to his God, and yet he's in a pit. And we also notice that Joseph isn't blaming God, but he is looking for a way and an opportunity where he might get out. And that, I think, is the model when Christians suffer. God is meticulously sovereign. 
And in later years, Joseph is going to recognize that it was God's hand that orchestrated those two pits. And we, just like Joseph, must do the same when suffering comes our way. We need to rest in God. But if we can get ourselves out, well, we need to do that. You know, Paul has counsel very much like that. He was writing to the many slaves that made up the early church. So listen to what he says to them in 1 Corinthians 7.21. Were you a bondservant or a slave when you were called? That is, when you were called to Christ. He says, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. So don't you see, resting in God's sovereignty doesn't make us into passive victims. Rather, we might reason that perhaps God is seeking to strengthen us through this by showing us how to get free. So if you're suffering today and a way presents itself to get freedom from the burden you're under, avail yourself of it. That is, of course, unless the Lord indicates otherwise. So that's what we find Joseph is doing. He sees the cupbearer's reinstatement as an opportunity for himself. And if it's possible, he wants to utilize that opportunity. So let's continue to read uh, verses 16 to 19. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. <laughs> if you're the chief baker, this is very bad news. You know, one commentator has wondered if in the dream, the baker is not driving the birds away, and that's an indication that he's not driven the enemies of the king away. You know, was he perhaps in some kind of a, a pact with the enemies of the king? Well, we don't know, but at any rate, he was about to be hanged. That's bad news. Well, let's continue to read verses 20 to 23. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so Joseph has proved himself to be a prophet of God. His words, unlike those of the diviners and the magicians, aren't vague and they're not obscure. They're direct, they're exacting. You know, years later, Isaiah the prophet would make a point. He would mock the magicians and the diviners, both of Egypt and of Babylon. Isaiah 44, verse 7, God is speaking through the mouth of the prophet. He says, who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. That is to say, the future. The knowledge of the future, that belongs to God alone. And the reason why, when you go to fortune tellers today, the reason they're obscure is because they're charlatans. They don't know the future at all. The future is known only by God, the very God who is both Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and the God who plans all things. What he declares will surely come to pass. He's the only one. And that's one of the reasons I don't trust in people who have prophecies that are vague. You know, consider Agabus from the book of Acts. He predicts a famine. Listen, there's a famine. He tells Paul that Paul is going to be bound and placed in chains when he gets to Jerusalem. It's exactly what happened. 
When you hear a supposed prophet saying, you know, God will reveal his love for you in the future, you know, my response is, of course he will. He promised that in the Bible, and I surely don't need you to tell me. And when a fortune teller says that next year is going to be a momentous year for you, you have every right to say you're a fraud unless you give me the exact details of what that means. Well, that's Joseph. He's a man appointed by God to be faithful to his God, a man who is not like the gods of Egypt where he lives or the gods of the Canaanites from where he has come. And yet here I come back to our theme of having our own personal Gethsemane. The chief cupbearer, although he's promised differently, simply forgets Joseph. And for Joseph, life just goes on in the pit. You know, where is faithfulness to God getting him? You know, Joseph might have said, you know, I've been faithful, but you didn't just test me once, Lord, you tested me twice. And where has faithfulness gotten me? But had he said that, he would have been expressing unbelief, and he would have been questioning the infinite wisdom of God. As Paul would say in Romans 9, who are you, a mere man, that you would question God? Well said. It's important then for Christians who suffer to entrust themselves to God and then to put their heads down and just keep being faithful where they are. Simply believe that in God's timing, he will determine your future, and it will be based upon his eternal promises to you that he has made to you in his cross. Don't you be discouraged. Don't you be thrashing around in unbelief and despair. And don't you question the goodness of God. And when you're tested and tried, even if your heart is breaking, you just keep being faithful and wait on God. Here's what you're going to find. His timing will be perfect. Okay, Joseph's a remarkable guy. There's no question about it. I mean, in every situation, he seems to rise to the occasion can we be like that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he always seems too good to be true. And I, you know, when I began this series, Ben, I, I made the comment that I, of all the Bible characters, I mean, outside of Jesus, I mean, I mean, yeah, Joseph, he seems to have his life more together than almost anyone else that we'll meet in the pages of Scripture. I mean, maybe Daniel is close to that. Uh, this is a remarkable guy, and we might look at this and be intimidated. I mean, how can I have that level of spirituality? And I would say for all of us, I mean, I haven't had it, Ben. I mean, I've gone through very difficult seasons, and, and I know that I've come back to the place where I'm trusting in God, but I've despaired at times. So I, I want to say, keep Joseph as a model, but don't be intimidated by him. I mean, just continue to say, Lord, you can continue to work in me to make me more like that man was. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Unseen Hand of God, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Tom said, what Dr. John says makes so much sense, and he's opened my understanding of the Bible. Thanks, Tom. Your words of encouragement mean more to us than you might know. This October, we're giving thanks to our Savior for his provision and blessing in the lives of our listeners. There's so much being accomplished through Dr. John Newfeld and the Back to the Bible Canada team. And recently, a group of ministry partners graciously provided a cumulative ministry pledge gift of $50,000. Now listen, this gift has allowed us to participate in a donation match where every dollar you give this month will be matched up to $50,000, allowing us to continue to change lives through the truth of God's Word. So to match your donation today, 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or visit us at backtothebible.ca.